Welcome to NDG Winning Season 4, Episode 1, where Dave and Adam get together to talk about NDG and the world that revolves around it. S4E1, Season 4 already, Episode 1. And it's today's episode, it's, it's not just the world that revolves around it, but space as well, Adam. And, and tell our listeners, who do we have as our, as our special uh, guest? Today's special guest, we have the Honorable Minister Marc Garneau, Minister of Foreign Affairs and MP for NDG Westmount and candidate in the ongoing current election. Wow. Welcome, Minister Garneau. Welcome. Thank you very much, uh, Adam and Dave. Delighted to be with you. So um, we're, we're going to talk about three general topics. You've very kindly given us uh, a half an hour of your very uh, precious time. We'd like to cover Afghanistan because that is your dossier and I think our listeners would be very grateful for an update on that. Then we'll transition into something a little closer to home, mm -hmm. NDG uh, and the riding. And then finally, because we couldn't resist it, we want to chat about space with you. Um, so please, great. So tell us, what's the latest on Afghanistan? So the latest on Afghanistan is that uh, we are currently focused on trying to bring out of Afghanistan uh, remaining Canadian citizens, as well as uh, Afghans who have uh, worked for Canada during the past 20 years and uh, who may feel threatened uh, now that the Taliban has taken over. So we've managed to get several thousand out uh, with Canada's participation in the airlift, which is now finished. But we still have work to do to get uh, Canadians, some permanent residents, their family members, and Afghans who uh, not only uh, help, for example, being interpreters for the Canadian forces when we were there up until 2011, but uh, employees at the Canadian Embassy uh, and vulnerable groups such as women activists. In, in now that the Taliban has taken over, you can understand them feeling threatened. Uh, LGBTQ uh, uh, people in, in Afghanistan and some minorities. And so they are feeling threatened and Canada has undertaken to bring them out of the country. And that's where our uh, energies are focused at the moment. And that, I have to admit, is almost a full-time job for me at the moment. Um, in, when we watch the news about Afghanistan, we see a lot about the Americans and all the efforts they made as the exit occurred. Um, we are, of course, always partners with the Americans in, in a lot of uh, international affairs. Can you tell us, please, about uh, our partnership with the Americans in the Afghanistan file? Well, it's been very important because it's important to remember that the, um, the ability to extract what has been uh, 120,000 people out of Kabul airport was only made possible because of the large American military presence that was at the airport, about 6,000 Marines. And because they were able to secure the airport, it allowed about, uh, about 15 other countries who were part of a collective air bridge to bring in their own aircraft. So Canada was able to bring in its own C-17 aircraft and we were able to, over a number of days, to bring out 3,700 uh, people. Over 2,000 of them were Afghans, some of them were Canadian citizens. And so this would not have been possible without, if you like, the military presence of the United States uh, at the Kabul airport. So they're an important ally, as they always have been. Um, 
so the dilemma for the international community going forwards is <clears throat> what to do about Afghanistan. Um, and I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot and say, uh, as the other media might have said, you know, will you recognize Taliban, uh, the Afghanistan under Taliban government? But tell us, please, from a Canadian perspective, what the process is, what the process is, what the thinking is that goes into deciding whether or not to recognize the Taliban as legitimate government representing Afghanistan. So it's a very good question. The Taliban uh, won. They're there. They're in charge. Uh, I think they're a bit surprised themselves that they, they've taken over the country with very little resistance. So how do we go forward now? Our primary preoccupation are the Afghan people who have suffered a great deal and in whom Canada invested a great deal for women and girls, for education, for building up governance structures in the country. We sacrificed a great deal in that country yeah. for 20 years, and we don't want to lose it. Mm -hmm. Now that the Taliban is there, the question that everybody asks is, are they going to be as horrible as they were back in 1996 and uh, between then and 2000 when after the Russians left, uh, or have they changed? So that is the big question mark, because we, the international community, are now saying, look, we have some demands to put on you. And I've been talking with my colleagues from the G7 countries, uh, the countries that are the re in the region around Afghanistan, and we are taking a unified approach. One of the demands that we have is that you must allow Afghans who have travel documents and who want to leave Afghanistan to leave. You must uh, treat um, human rights seriously, including for women and girls. You must not allow Afghanistan to become a, an incubator for terrorist groups, which has already sadly yeah. happened. So we're putting demands on them. The question is, how will they react to that? If they don't react properly to that, they risk being isolated. They're also now confronting the reality that they are going to be running the country. Uh, can, uh, Afghanistan is a poor country. They need revenue. They don't have revenue. They need help. They need humanitarian help, which we are going to provide because that's for the people. But everything else is a question mark at this point. How will the Taliban uh, change from what they were before? So that is something that will become clear in the weeks to come. And we will hold their feet to the fire. They've said some things that are kind of reassuring. But, uh, of course, as we know, Actions speak louder than words, so for we'll sure, see. For sure. Yeah, right. um, and again, you know, being short on time, so if we come back to uh, within the are the borough level and the energy level, so the riding that you are representing, you have the bookends of Montreal West and Westmount that have you know certain um, uh, char similar characteristics, and you have NDG in the middle. Um, so maybe what I'd like to ask is. Maybe tell us a little bit about uh, the accomplishments so far that you've overseen within NDG and that also that, uh, you know, were the Liberals to win a majority government, what are, do you foresee for the borough of NDG going forward, given our diversity, um, uh, social, socioeconomic status, etc.? 
So thank you very much for the question. First, looking at NDG, it's about 70% of my writing. It's mm -hmm. the big piece, uh, as you say. It's bookended by, by Montreal West and, and, ND, and uh, Westmount, but it is the big piece. And uh, it is extremely important for me to address the concerns of the people of NDG. If you look at the past, and of course, when elections happen, people focus on the future, but you've asked me, what, what uh, am I happy that we have done in the past? Mm -hmm. I will say that, well, we have had an exceptionally uh, different last two years with the pandemic. Yeah. And I believe that the government has handled the pandemic, not perfectly, but reasonably well in terms of uh, uh, accessing vaccines, uh, encouraging people uh, to get vaccinated. And I think we're in a pretty good place. Are we out of the woods? No, we're not. But I think uh, I think that uh, we've done a reasonably good job. If you compare us, us to other countries, uh, we have a high, very high vaccination rate, and that's a credit to people for going out there and getting vaccinated. Not everybody has, but uh, but that's been good. And I, I'm also proud of the fact that we recognize when lots of people were put out of uh, out of uh, out of business or lost their jobs when the pandemic began, that we came forward with some economic programs. Uh, to help those that were losing their jobs, businesses that were having to close. So I think that um, what I'm particularly proud of is how we've handled the past two years. As I say, not perfect, but but I think a, a reasonably good job. But if I look to the future, you know, NDG is a riding uh, that prioritizes a number of things. And I, I, I say this because I've been representing part of NDG and now all of NDG for right. almost years. Yeah. For people who live in our riding, uh, in NDG, housing is a very important part. The cost of housing and the availability of housing, those are important. Seniors, seniors want services. There are many seniors uh, groups in, in the riding, mm -hmm. and I'm very proud of what we call the New Horizons program, which has provided funding to keep seniors active and engaged up especially during this COVID period when the risk of isolation has been very, very real. Um, active transportation. A lot of people in, uh, in uh, NDG want to have bicycle paths. They want to have, uh, if you like, a, a pedestrian-friendly city. Uh, we announced $400 million, this is for Canada, over five years for active transportation, which is addressing that. Um, public transportation. Public transportation is very important to the people of NDG. Lots of people take the bus, want to use uh, the subway uh, in, in, in the eastern part, like yeah. uh, where Vendôme is. Um, also, uh, they want green infrastructure, and that has been something that we've focused a great deal on. People want affordable daycare. There are lots of young families, and we're, uh, we've just announced as sort of our uh, plans for $10 a day daycare. And, uh, and that I think I'm particularly proud of it because it responds to, to young families uh, with children under six, year, mm -hmm. uh, under six years old as well through the uh, Canada uh, Child Benefit, which is, uh, which is funding that goes to, to uh, families of children under six years old. And more recently, mental health. We've made mm -hmm. announcements with respect to that because COVID has been very, very hard on people. And it has highlighted the fact that we don't put enough into mental health. So those are things that I think that are important. The environment, of course, is always important. So we've made some announcements with respect to okay. zero emission vehicles. 
uh, our, our objective now is 50% of sales by 2030 have got to be zero emission vehicles. By mm -hmm. 2035, all electricity generated in the country must be renewable energy. It can't be from coal-fired plants, can't mm -hmm. be from oil and gas-fired plants. That's another strong engagement. We also just announced that we have an objective of building 50,000 charging stations for those electric vehicles that, right. that people are going to go out and buy. Uh, and I, I'll finish by saying something which is sort of uh, uh, something I'm very proud of, and that is I have an exceptional riding office uh, that is very well connected to all of the funding programs that exist in the government of Canada. I'm talking about the federal government. And uh, my, my, uh, my star there is Margaret Guest. And Margaret, whenever people phone up, whether it's Head and Hands, whether it's the Food Depot, whether it's the NDG Community Council that says, look, is there a program in the federal government that can help us here? She knows them absolutely. Uh, it's, you know, she is totally clued in on every single federal program and she provides that information to these different organizations in NDG. So I think those are the kinds of things that uh, will be important as we go forward. Sorry for the long answer. No, it's great. And you know, what, what's really interesting is uh, in, in trying to, you know, prepare for uh, our, our discussion tonight, um, you've touched, you really, I was thinking about infrastructure, which you talked about, uh, low-income housing, which you talked about, electric, uh, green. Um, and I think, so it's really nice to hear, to hear that you're, and your staff are aligned with the needs and uh, what the hot the hot button topics are and items for uh, within the borough. So that's that's great, excellent. Yeah, and it's it's curious, you know, there's a municipal election going on at the same time. Right. Uh, we won't ask for your opinions on that, but but it's for us, it's remarkable to see how some of the issues are actually overlapping, yeah, like exactly. bicycles, green transport. Yeah, yeah. These are relevant in both levels yeah, yeah, of government. Yeah. Um, well, okay, so you're showing remarkable agility in terms of going from Afghanistan right. to NDG bike paths. <laughs> now we're going to test your agility once more <laughs> and we want to talk about space and, and it will, you know, let's put your politician hat aside for a moment and put on your astronaut's helmet <laughs> and for the benefit of our listeners and, and forgive us, but You've probably been asked this, you know, a million times, but but tell us what what it's like to be in space, and and what does that give you as as a human being in terms of uh, an enlightenment and an education that you can share with us and, and our listeners. Well, thank you very much for the question, and uh, I uh, I had the extraordinary privilege of going into space, and, and perhaps I could take it from the point where we arrive in space after a rock and roll launch that is like nothing that you can imagine. Uh, even the, the wildest ride at La Ronde is not going to compare to this, and suddenly, eight and a half minutes after taking off from the Kennedy Space Center, you arrive in space and after the vibration, the acceleration, the noise, the energy released, it suddenly stops and it's quiet. And you uh, suddenly realize that you are floating in your chair. You've got a seatbelt, you've got a, a sort of a harness on you, but you realize it's kind of feeling loose. And you realize you've arrived in space safe and sound because it is <laughs> it's a pretty uh, 
is a pretty, um, if you like, risky part of the trip. Right. And uh, the first thing you want to do is just take off your uh, harness and float out and truly experience that. And I will tell you that the most memorable, and I'm sure every astronaut says the same thing, uh, part of it is when you first float over and look out the window and you suddenly realize, yes, I'm not looking at a photo. I am up there. I am looking down on my planet, planet Earth, and I really am in space. And by the time I had reached the window to look out, we were now uh, arriving uh, on the on the coast of Europe, if I can put it that way. We had crossed the Atlantic, and I was beginning to try to see. Well, do I recognize? Uh, do I recognize what I'm looking at? Uh, it's uh, it's something that uh, takes a certain amount of training to recognize. It may look obvious, but it's not always obvious, depending on the orientation. And uh, so I began to to suddenly realized that I was actually uh, one of the very few people. Uh, I was the 150th person to go into space mm. uh, in the history of uh, in the history of space and uh, and uh, I realized how incredibly privileged I was. But the point I want to make with you is this. How does it change you? Because you asked that question. Uh, it changes you because when you see Earth uh, against the backdrop of black space because you can see the curvature you're you're not so far away that you can see all of the planet because you'd have to go quite a ways away but you can see a lot of it you can see about 1500 kilometers in front of you and the curvature of the earth and the blackness of space in that wafer thin uh layer called the 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 atmosphere that is above the surface of the planet and it is during the course of that experience and the many days after when you when you go and look out the window that you realize that this is planet Earth, the home of all humanity, the cradle of all humanity, but really the only place where we can uh, all of us evolve. And it is so important to take care of it. I became an environmentalist on my first flight uh, 37 years ago when I realized that um, we needed to take care of that planet because already I was seeing evidence of it. During that time, you, you may or may not remember back in 84, there was massive burning of, of the forests in, Amazon, in, in Amazonia. And, and there was a pall of smoke over uh, Brazil that was about a million square miles. And uh, you sometimes couldn't see the surface because there was such thick smoke. And that dramatically, of course, proves to you how important it is for us to take care of our environment. And you would see also plenty of other evidence, such as uh, 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 in, in the case of certain rivers where um, erosion had occurred because of trees being cut down and the soil was being washed into the river. Uh, Madagascar is a dramatic example mm -hmm. of it. And, uh, and, and the harm that that was doing to what used to be a, a pristine environment. So that is what you realize, that we have a planet that we can damage if we're not careful. The other thing is you also think about the fact that, uh, you know, here we are, 200 countries on this planet, and we can't seem to get along with each other. Yeah. There's, there's fighting, and we need to find a way because there's nowhere else for us to go. Yeah. Well, those are the kinds of thoughts that go through your mind every time you go and look out the window. It kind of, 
it, it kind of is something that you may not think about in the same way when you're back down on planet Earth, but that dramatically hits you in the face when you're looking down from space. Have, has, has that parlayed into your current role as Minister of Foreign Affairs? Have you been able to think about foreign affairs in the way that it's a global village, we're all in this together, you've been to that outer realm and looking down on us, and, and how has that impacted you? Most definitely, most definitely, because uh, I mean, as foreign uh, foreign affairs minister, I spend my days uh, speaking to foreign ministers of other countries and trying to find ways that we can work together. Uh, Canada has values that are very important uh, for our country of trying to advocate for human rights, for example, uh, trying to diffuse situations that uh, that get out of control. We're, we're, Canada is not a country that has you know, ambitions in terms of uh, 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 trying to uh, dominate other countries. We're a country that wants to live in the in respect uh, with other countries. And I approach, and I'm very happy as a Canadian to, to bring those values to the table. Uh, yes, we need to find a way to get along with each other. Uh, it's surprisingly um, difficult, it seems, for all of us to, to get along and to recognize mm -hmm. that, hey, if we managed to find a way to live together, uh, things would be so much better. Democracy, democracy, something which I'm very proud that Canada has, is something that uh, many, many countries do not have. And it sounds, wow, why, why don't they have it? It's, democracy is, is, is something you have to work at all the time. And so we try to bring those values to other countries and dealing with them, whether it's Asia or in Africa or other parts of the world. And at the same time, we're not perfect. We have right. lots of challenges, mm -hmm. indigenous people in our yeah. own country. So, you know, if you're going to uh, go out there and advocate for your values, you've got to also uh, be credible at home. So we, it, it makes you think about that as well. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That's I, uh, a lot. I have one last question, and it was my nine-year-old daughter who asked, <laughs> when you were up in space, did you see NDG? Were you able to see NDG? Uh, I <laughs> the answer is yes, but uh, I, you know, my first flight was uh, in 1984, and we went over Montreal quite a few times. Nice. Now, did I say nice. that's NDG, <laughs> or did I say there's the island of Montreal? Exactly. Right. A little bit more. The there's the island of Montreal. But in my eyeballs, NDG was in my was imprinted on the back of my brain, awesome. uh, just like all of the island of Montreal. So uh, yes, I did see NDG from space in 1984. Fantastic, fantastic, <laughs> Minister Garno. Thank you so much for taking this time. Yeah, with us. it was great, and hopefully it was enjoyable for you as well. Uh, it was great talking to you, and uh, we hope that next time we speak, the Afghanistan situation will be resolved. Yeah. And we'll maybe be talking about other spaces. And, and talking to the minister of who knows who what. knows what exactly <laughs> exactly. Well, let me say it was a real pleasure to uh, speak with you, Adam and Dave, and uh, and uh, I wish you all the best. And thank uh, you. Yeah, and uh, I also share your hope that uh, things will improve in Afghanistan. We're going to work on it. Thank Great. you. Perfect. Thank you so Cheers. much. Thank you. Okay. Wow! Wow! That was that was great. What a way to start a fourth Min season. Minister Garno has left the studio. Left the building. He's now back to solving the world's problems. Apparently, right. yeah, yeah. Now I want listeners to know, yeah, that we have invited every federal candidate in our riding right. to the uh, podcast.
Mm-hmm. And we hope to have each and every one of them on a podcast to meet them. Yeah, that would be great. And um, you know what, Adam, I got to be honest. At the be- at first, when you suggested, you know, should we get Mark Arno on? I was like, well, yeah, it's NDG, but it's federal. We're focusing on local. And after this interview, wow. And, you know, really because, as I mentioned during the podcast, uh, what he was hitting on for NDG was exactly what I wanted him to hit on for NDG. Now, a lot of it is, you know, this is what I want to do. It, the Liberals will have to win another minority or majority government to do what he wants to do. But I was really impressed to see he's aligned with it. And also, he really knows, he knows the borough. I, so. I, I, I was impressed that exactly, that he knows the borough mm-hmm. to the point of talking about bike paths. The yes. thing that gave birth to this podcast in the first was place. The <laughs> <laughs> it was the bike path. the bike path on Exactly. And there exactly. we are, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, who spends his day trying to figure out how to get, I don't know, 1,500 Canadians out of exactly. a war-torn yeah. country. Uh, he still has his heart on our bike I path. And took the time to spend it with, uh, with NDG us, winning. With so, a hey, couple, uh, a couple of schmendricks. Who are we? Who are we to, uh, you know, but anyways, that was really good. Yeah. Yeah. So, great, uh, great, great. Yeah. Great. Uh, so, thank you to the listeners for putting up with us. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll be back as soon as we yeah. can with another interesting podcast. Yeah, and we're focusing on, uh, obviously, on the borough. Uh, we're still working on our. Um, Candidates debate for the borough mayors in October. Yes. And yes. at the same time, as you mentioned, you've extended this invite to the other yes. uh, candidates that are representing the borough in the federal election. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. The municipal mayoral candidates, mm-hmm. give or take, plus or minus, have all indicated uh, an, uh, an interest in being on our debate. Mm-hmm. Basically, we are going to be one of the key uh, Fantastic. Debates and I noticed on, uh, on our NDG winning Facebook page, you've um, already posted what are the questions we want to ask. That's right. um, we want to talk about the bureaucrats. We want to talk about the public works. We want to talk about public transit, bikes. Uh, so there'll be some All the stuff here. Minister Garno just talked about. Exactly. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Dave. Always a pleasure, Adam. Take care. Talk to you soon. Bye.